hit the road and travel light. Shalom! Thank you for joining us for the Sermon of Sunday, July 4th, 2021 from Christchurch, Jerusalem. To be a disciple is to be sent. We are sent out to preach repentance, confront evil, and heal the hurting. Rev. David Pelegi reminds us that to be successful in our call, we must be radically dependent on God. It is God's gifts of repentance, courage, and compassion that enable us to minister to those around us. We begin with a reading from Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Ezekiel's call to be a prophet. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me, and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. And whether, whatever they listen, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading tonight will be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to read from verse 2 all the way down to verse 10. <clears throat> I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one could be, would be permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weakness. Even if I should uh, choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than it is warranted by what I, I do or say. Or because of these uh, surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more glad gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. So please stand for the reading of the gospel. And the gospel assigned to us Sunday is from Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. 
Jesus, Jesus left there, the area of the Sea of Galilee, and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except the staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you you will give us um, ears to hear what you want to say to each one of us through your word. Ask that uh, we'll be attentive to your voice. And Lord, we pray that... um, even more so that you will give us the grace yes, to do those things. To do those things that uh, you instruct us through your word. Pray that you'll not only teach us, but Lord, you'll enable us or help us to be obedient. Again, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to um, look at our gospel passage, which is from Mark <clears throat> chapter six. There are uh, they are, there are two stories that have been uh, put together for us by Mark. Sometimes he stitches uh, events together, and they're not necessarily directly related to each other. But these two events, one being rejected in his hometown, and the second event, um, sending out the 12, they are themes that keep reappearing or recurring in uh, this gospel. The first story, the story of uh, the incident of Jesus being rejected in his hometown, 
something that we uh, read about in all the Gospels, or at least the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And um, Mark has this emphasis uh, of uh, Jesus being someone who is rejected by just virtually everyone, misunderstood by everyone, uh, with few exceptions, uh, including his disciples, his families, the religious establishment, Jesus being tested by, by Satan and by humans, and Jesus being this lonely man of faith. And uh, the emphasis that Mark compiles, or the, 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 the emphasis that he um, points out to us is kind of unique to his gospel. You know, if you read Luke's gospel, you see that Jesus is quite popular. And we have, secondly, the sending out of the 12. The sending out of the 12, uh, in many ways, or really in the same way, has the emphasis that we see from the beginning in this gospel. I think last week we pointed out to you that uh, the opening event or the opening story in every gospel that centers around Jesus is in some way going to um, characterize the whole gospel narrative. So in Matthew, when we have Jesus being the teacher, the, the gospel, Jesus is introduced as giving the Sermon on the Mount. And Luke, he's in the synagogue teaching and proclaiming a, uh, a time of liberation and freedom, a year of the Lord's favor. Yes, where there is um, going to be freedom and healing and whatnot and more. And here, our opening story, you might say, is immediately Jesus confronting the demonic. And it's all through this gospel, yes, that Jesus is at war uh, with the unseen forces, uh, unseen forces uh, of evil. Uh, and he's demonstrating his power and his authority over the demonic or the satanic. And this is, um, points to the, the coming of the kingdom of heaven where uh, God's kingship through Jesus is beginning to rule and to take control like it's never like it's never done before. So to now we have um, Jesus up until this point. We see that Jesus comes, he announces the kingdom. Yes. And again, the kingdom, the emphasis of, uh, of the kingdom of heaven here is combat with the demonic. And he's, of course, preaching. He tells us, in, and we learn in Mark chapter 2, that Jesus, when he's talking to the Pharisees, he says, I've come, right? He says, I've come uh, to call sinner, sinners to, to repentance. In fact, repentance is huge because our, the, the first words that come out of the mouth of Jesus in the gospel, even before he meets a demonic man in the synagogue, is repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So there's repentance, there's the, the clash with the devil. Of course, there's healing. And 
the healing that we read about in Mark's gospel and, and Matthew and Mark and the book of Acts. And um, I don't know if I'll put the book of John. I'll put John's gospel in here. But when we see Jesus uh, healing people, I think it's important for us to understand that healing and salvation, yes, are interchangeable. And that the work of healing is indeed a work of salvation. The word in Greek is the same word. We sometimes think, oh, to be healed is to get my get God to touch my arm and to make it feel better. But to be saved means that my soul is going to heaven when I die. Or I will have a part in the resurrection of the world to come. Yes, but in actual fact, the Bible doesn't make that separation. The word Greek sozo, to be saved or to be healed, basically means to be rescued. Yes, to be rescued... Divine rescue, by the way. Divine rescue. But it means to be rescued. It means to be brought to a place of safety, or there's this idea of being rest, uh, restored to well-being, um, or to be free, yes, from those things that uh, endanger us. So when Jesus is... Uh, engaging in this uh, this ministry of healing, yes, it is rescue. It's rescue. It's rescue in practice. And how is Jesus rescuing people? Because this really uh, relates to or connects to uh, the passage of those the early disciples, those apostles going out, yes, and engaging or um, uh, engaging in the, the ministry of healing. I think it's important for us to uh, to understand because in a, in a minute we'll see that the same ministry that Jesus gave them, he gives, he gives to us. And so to be rescued, to be healed, to be saved, let's look at the practical, uh, the very practical examples of this. So in, we already mentioned that um, in chapter 1, the yes, that Jesus begins with repentance. He drives out an evil spirit in the synagogue of Capernaum. Yes, here's a man who his life has been taken over by the demonic. Yes, and uh, Jesus rescues him. Before the at the end of chapter one, Jesus meets a man with leprosy, and this man with leprosy, of course, by uh, the 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 laws of the Bible the, of the Torah. Uh, while he's not a sinner, he has to stay separate. He has to stay apart from society. He's isolated. And Jesus tells him to go show yourself to the priest so that he can come back into the community. Yes, have you ever thought about people who are isolated or for one reason or another who are pushed to the edge of the community or sometimes pushed out of the community? oftentimes because of no fault of their own. You ever think about how destructive that may be? Ever think about how destructive loneliness is? You know, um, the science is now in to show that uh, people who 
are afflicted with loneliness, which Mother, Mother Teresa calls the leprosy of, she called it the leprosy of the 20th century. We can call it the leprosy of the 21st century. Yes, that to be isolated and to be disconnected is as dangerous as smoking or obesity on, on one's health. The fact that Jesus comes and restores people to community, is it not a rescue? Yes. And in chapter 2, yes, there's the man who's, on, who's the paralytic. Yes, someone digs a hole in the roof and lowers this man down. And Jesus not only heals this man, but he also says, his friend, your sins are forgiven. And is it not true that the forgiveness of sin, is that not a rescue? Is that not healing? Is that not what we call salvation? Have we misunderstood salvation? Have we taken salvation and made it smaller? Yes, and a little more boring than it actually is. I shouldn't say it's more boring. A, a little less, um, not as expansive as God originally intends. And then what happens in, uh, in, in chapter 3 is that, um, or is it chapter 2? It's chapter 2. Jesus is discussing things with the Pharisees. And there's a disagreement about whether you should pick grain on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, of course you should pick grain on the Sabbath. Why does Jesus say such a thing? Because he wants to prove that he is smarter than the Pharisees or that the Pharisees misunderstand uh, the interpretation of God's word. No, his disciples are hungry. Jesus has, has the, the deepest concern for human needs. What? My disciples are hungry and they can't eat? What are you talking about, he says to them. By the way, it's also in chapter 3 that we have the first commissioning. And the first commissioning is like the one we read in chapter 6. Go out and preach and, con, and con, uh, con, combat Sorry, the demonic and then in chapter 4, you remember the disciples are in the boat, and they're hysterical. Yes, they're in a panic. And Jesus gets up and rebukes the wind. But he rescues from physical danger. Yes, and you might say from his disciples being overwhelmed emotionally with fear. He rescues his followers. And then last week we talked about the two stories in chapter 5, the woman with an issue of blood. Again, a woman isolated, very likely a woman who was, uh, was at the point of economic ruin because she had spent her life savings on doctors. A woman who, um, if she was married, she wasn't allowed to live with her husband, again, according to, to the, the law of the Torah, and uh, being in that state, she couldn't have children. A woman, again, who was, had to live with shame. And again, she's rescued. In this case, her faith plays an, uh, an important part. Her persistence, her refusal to give up. 
And of course, there is the story of Yair, the synagogue official. And as synagogue official, his daughter dies, and uh, we have a family that is overcome, yes, with mourning. The trauma of death, the pain of loss, loss of a child, which of course, as we, we all know, is something horrible. And Jesus again comes into and he rescues. Yes, that's salvation. That's healing. It's again rescue, it's a restoration to well being. And this, you might say, This ministry of Jesus is exactly the ministry that he gives to us. Yes, that was our reading in chapter 6. At the end of chapter 6, he says to the disciples, he says the following. He gave them, he he gives them authority and he sends them out. Yes, the authority that he gives them is over evil spirits. And it says, then they went out and preached. And what did they preach? They preached repentance. They drove out many demons, as Jesus was doing. They prayed for sick people using oil. Only time in the Gospels that oil is mentioned in connection with healing. Yes, and and they were healed. And so, even before we get to the what, as we should perhaps remind ourselves of the why, that to be a disciple of Jesus, yes, what does it mean to be a disciple? It's a summons. It's an invitation for us to serve for us to serve Jesus and to do or to imitate him and do what he did. And very often we get this backwards because we understand discipleship or church membership in perhaps you know the, the following terms. Yeah, I go to church, but I go to church because I want Jesus to make me happy. Or I'm going to church because really I think You know, being in a church and listening to what they say will help my marriage work better. Or it might help me with my diet plan. Or, you know, my kids need morality. And so, you know, a church is a good place. I'll go to church because I can meet some nice women. And, you know, that's the best place, you know, to find a, a partner for life. Whatever it may be, very often... Actually, more often than not, in the time in which we live, yes, church membership or membership in a religious community, a faith community, is about the underlying bottom line is often, what am I going to get out of this? How does this add to my well-being? Or how does this add to my human flourishing? To use the latest buzzwords. And it's not that Jesus is against human flourishing. He is, up, he is for our well-being 
And he does want us to flourish as human, come into a, to a, uh, a complete understanding, a full understanding of what it means to be human in the biblical sense. But the way that more often than not, we, and that the world understands the road to flourishing, to well-being, this is the wrong road. Yes, Jesus has another model. Jesus says, come and follow me. Come and serve me. Come and imitate me. Be obedient to those things that I'm calling you to do. Then you will know human for then you will know human flourishing. And you will know joy and satisfaction in life. So it's not an option, yes, but to be a, to be a disciple is to be one who is sent. God sent the, his son, his son sends the disciples, and we as a church, as a community, we send disciples, yes? So it's a chain of sending. And how does this, or, or, or what, what shall we, what is the program, you might say? What is the agenda? Well, it's given in the context of evangelism, right? They're going out to people who don't know the message, or they're going out to people who haven't heard it before, yes? Jesus has a certain urgency. He wants the message of the kingdom to get out as quickly as possible. Then and now, I'm not sure I should be allowed to mention the word evangelism here in Jerusalem, but that's the context of this passage. But also this passage is equally good for those of us who I think have been disciples for years and years. It's good for them those who are outsiders, and it's good for us, especially for those of us who sometimes find ourselves stuck, yes, and not able to, to go forward. And it's very short, but brilliant. And you know, it starts with, even before the, there's the combat with the devil, Yes, or the issue with religious people or family. Yes, the, the beginning of the agenda that Jesus gives is very simple. It's repent. Yes, it's turn around. Literally in the Greek, it's change your mind. But uh, here, here the literal meaning of the word doesn't convey its full meaning. It's change your mind, yes, and turn around and go in a different direction. You know, um, John the Baptist came and he preached repentance. And his repentance was, his message was, judgment is coming, therefore you need to repent. But Jesus doesn't connect the repentance with judgment. He connects repentance with life. Repent, yes, so that you can enter into life. Repent so that one can, so that we can be saved. Repent so that we can be rescued. You know, with the story of Zacchaeus is very instructive. Jesus is walking through Jericho. 
yes, and quote-unquote by chance, he meets Zacchaeus. He calls Zacchaeus down. Jesus invites himself to his house. And what happens, Zacchaeus ends up changing his behavior. He's going to give half his goods to to the poor. And if he's cheated, and of course he's cheated, he's going to give, yes, he's going to pay back four times what he's stolen. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Yes, rescue has come to this house. Now, if Zacchaeus lived in uh, the 21st century in many uh, Protestant communities or many Protestant churches, you would hear, you might hear him say this. Well, Jesus, I'm going to accept you into my heart. And I'm going to believe on you because when I die, I know I can go to heaven. But you really can't expect me to change my life, can you? You can't expect me to uh, go out of the, the, uh, the tax business and stop cheating people. That would be terribly inconvenient. And after all, I couldn't give so much to, to the church if I did such a thing. That's not rescue. It's not salvation to be caught up in a system, yes, and continue to be corrupt. Again, we've, we've so misunderstood, yes, salvation in its fullest meaning. And by the way, repentance for them and repentance for us is in a one-time event. Because in, John, in Mark chapter 1, where Jesus comes and he says, repent, the Greek is repent and keep on, keep on repenting. It's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a lifestyle. And many of us can say, okay, I can repent. Um, I'm a sinner, you know. Yeah. But, you know, it's really not my fault. Yeah, it's really someone else's fault. People ask me, what's the hardest part of my job? Hardest part of my job is I listen to people at great length tell me about their issues. And more often than not, what do I hear? Is a long, long list or a long, long story of self-justification. Yeah, I'm not responsible, you know, it's not my problem, it's not my fault. I don't, I'm not the one who really needs to repent. I can blame it on the other person, I can blame it on my family, I can blame it on, you know, my co-workers. Isn't it interesting that before, in the, the passage that we just read before, we there's any talk about the demonic, yes, we hear the word repent. Take responsibility. Take personal responsibility. Yes, there is a demonic, and the demonic, uh, there is evil, and that can deceive us or influence us. But that never negates human responsibility. That never negates, yes, living a lifestyle of repentance. Jesus um, says, his opening words are repent, 
Are they not? And it's in every gospel. And then, virtually at the end in the book of Revelation, yes, five of the seven churches, they're, they're not unbelievers, they're not the pagans, they're not the idol worshipers. Five of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, Jesus has a message. Repent. Repent, he says, to one church, and I will open the door and, come, open, and I will come in and sup with you. I'll come in and be intimate with you. Yes, the connection between rescue and intimacy and repentance is clear. Yeah. But if we can repent, and we don't always have to, and we don't always have an excuse, it sure helps if we can name the sin. Not a sin we have to name to everyone or to broadcast on Facebook. We are all we're used to saying, I'm a sinner saved by grace. But let's perhaps we can say, I have an anger problem and I can't control it. Or I have a problem with lust. Or I have an addiction to candy bars or whatever it may be. And be willing to let someone else, yes, perhaps speak into our life or to help us. So, repentance. And may I remind you that repentance is a command. Yes, again, it's for them. It's for us. It's a human response. It's also a gift of God. 2 Timothy 2.25 talks about repentance as being a gift. And if we have a hard time admitting it, or we can't get off the merry-go-round of self-justification, then perhaps we need to ask for the gift. Yes. But the message that we bring, and that the message that we should live by, is one of self-justification, but sorry, is the one of repentance. There is um, no question that it's also a ministry, which can be dangerous, of confronting evil. And the danger we'll come to in a moment. But I think it's very interesting um, to bring up the observation of um, Scott Peck, was, a, was an American psychiatrist, I recommend a lot of what he wrote, but uh, many years ago he was uh, practicing psychiatry in, uh, in, I think, in a public hospital somewhere in, maybe it was Kentucky, and he became aware, uh, as a secular person, of the demonic And uh, he has some very interesting observations in his book called The People of the Lie. And one of the most, I I think, significant, one of his most significant observations is that when he encountered people who were uh, possessed, perhaps even more than just demonized, he, he noted always that these were people who could never tell the truth or they could never admit the truth about themselves or about the situation, or about their sin, and in particular about their responsibility, you know, for the mess that they were in. 
And that's why he called the book the people of the lie. It's also worth noticing that the devil, he attacks weak people or he attacks us in the places where we're weakest. Yes. And very often it's the tactic of the devil. Yes, to move people to the fringe. Yes, to move people, uh, whether it's spiritually or physically or um, uh, to isolate people. Yes, right. And this, what part of our job to confront evil? Right is always to reattach people to to community, or to always reattach people to family. And this, by the way, there's a pro, there's there's an exception to this, and we'll um, we'll deal with it in a minute. And then, of course, it goes on to talk about anointing with oil. Authority is given. Preach repentance. Yes. Confront evil. And the, con- yeah, the confrontation with evil is not, again, just about us. I'm sorry, not just about them, but it's also about us and our communities and, it, as, and us as individuals. As when, we take a, when, we, when we're baptized, many of us take a vow or our parents take a vow on our behalf that later becomes our promise. Yes, do we reject Satan and all his works? And we need to renew that promise and to renew that vow every day in our life, every day in our every day of our lives. And uh, then there's healing, anointing with oil. And here, this is uh, not always so easy because, on one hand, God heals people then. And he continues to heal people now. And one of the great tragedies of the church throughout the ages is that very often we, we begin to lower our expectations. We don't expect very much from Jesus. Just like those people in Nazareth. They had such low expectations. You can say they had almost no faith. But at the same time, yes, God doesn't heal everybody. Not everybody in the Gospels got healed. Many people got healed. Certainly not not everybody. And I think our reading from 2 Corinthians this, this evening, I hope it's a reminder, even though it may not be easy, that God sometimes uses physical illness or physical uncomfort in one way or another. Um, he uses those things to bring us to a place of maturity and uh, deeper transformation. And so there is healing, and we should understand healing in its widest, widest sense, not only physically, not only physical healing, but again, healing is rescue. And if our arm doesn't get healed, but yet we are, we are freed from our anxiety, or we come to a place where we can reject fear 
or we come to a place where we can control the way we spend money or we have the ability to forgive graciously those that have harmed us or hurt us, that too is healing. That's as important, perhaps even more, it's, no, not perhaps, even more important, yes, than physical healing. It says in Second Corinthians chapter 3, that if we that beholding his glory, we should be we should be transformed into his image, into the image of Jesus the Messiah. Yes, in the Gospels we don't have such language. We have language that talks about imitating and following Jesus. Paul gives it another perspective for us and makes it beautiful. That we should be transformed or changed, yes, into his image. Not only do those works of rescue because we have his divine authority, but we can react and live the way that he does. So if we know the agenda, how do we do it? Well, Jesus tells us, and... um, being the 4th of July today, we'll use, we'll use some American, an American idiom, maybe two, yes? He tells, them, he tells his disciples to hit the road. Yeah. Um, he uh, gives them the instruction that uh, they should travel light and uh, that their ministry has to have this radical dependency upon God. All ministry has to have a radical dependency upon God. Even if we're going to visit the neighbor across the hallway to bring a sick person some soup. And uh, we can very easily become passive or even stymied because we'll say to ourselves, I'm not prepared. I don't have the funds. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the experience. And what Jesus is saying by, by taking you know, one pair of sandals and taking only one tunic and a staff, basically, the message is very simple, yes, as, uh, as it was in the beginning of the, the passage. He's the one who gives authority. And as we can depend on him and we can rely on him. And if ministry becomes so complicated, Discipleship becomes so complicated that we lose that dependency. Then something is wrong. And so Jesus says, travel light, yes, and depend on me for your needs. And stop being worried and anxious. That's a good part portion of Matthew chapter 6. Yes, and Jesus says in other words, look, seek first the kingdom of heaven and I'll take care of your needs. And I think he's saying the same thing here. You know, um, and by the way, there is the expectation that the community, yes, will support those who minister. And then we have this kind of strange thing. Don't jump around. If you go to one place, stay there. And uh, people always scratch their heads and say, what is that 
What is that verse in there for? I mean, what do you mean don't hop around? Well, ministry is, should not be uh, self-serving. And uh, very often, for the context, uh, you could be invited to stay in one person's house, and, and it is important to stay and establish a work there, yeah, not to run, to stay and stay a little, stay a little, and go someplace else. To stay, right, and to establish God's work. But if someone says, you know, why are you staying? Uh, why are you staying at Moshe's house when you can come to my place? I got a jacuzzi and a lakeside view, and. Uh, our flesh would say, oh, yeah, I'm going to be more comfortable there. Hey, Moshe, I got to go and pray for this other family. Yeah. I think this is what uh, certainly what Jesus, uh, Jesus is trying to say. And finally, you know, Jesus, he says, if they don't listen to you, just shake the dust off your feet. Oh, we'd say, of course, that's obvious. But the context here is that ministry... This ministry of repentance and a ministry of rescue and a ministry of healing. If people don't want it, there's no threat, no violence, no manipulation, no hysteria, no calling down fire from heaven. Move on. Move on. Yeah. Move on in a, a certain, you might say, confidence and assurance. You know, um, just to go back and have maybe just stress one point is uh, Jesus in Nazareth with his family and his community, which has a tie to the verse, yes, of uh, people rejecting the message of the kingdom and the power, the inbreaking power of the kingdom of heaven. We need the courage to be unpopular. And we need the courage to be misunderstood. Because not everyone's going to accept this message. And very often, yes, where we're misunderstood and the place where we're going to be rejected is going to be in our own community in our own town, or our own families, yes? You know, everything, you can say many things about community and how wonderful it is. And we can say many more things about family and how wonderful family is. And it's hard to say the following because families and the family structure is under such huge pressure and even huge demonic attack as we speak. But it needs to be said that sometimes our family can be the very thing that hinders us from being disciples. And our family can be the very thing that sometimes stops us, yes, from following Jesus in the way that we're called. And the values of our family and the values of our community can be nourishing and bring life when we read in Luke's gospel how pious and how godly the parents of Jesus were, we can only, only assume that uh, this nurtured him, yes, and made him, had a, something to do with the person that he became. 
But at the same time, we lead, read later, even in Mark's gospel, how the family so misunderstands, they try to come and do an intervention, one kind or another. And the family can easily tell us, well, you know, Jesus, um, who do you think you are? No one in our family has ever been a rabbi or a teacher. You know, get back here, you know, to get back here to the family workshop. Or Jesus, why are you, why are you hanging around with sinners? Our family doesn't do those kind of things. And don't even think, you know, don't have one positive thought about Gentiles. That's not who we are as a family. Yes. And uh, by the way, we have this woman picked out for you, and why aren't you going along with the plan? Or why aren't you going along with the values of your community? And so we have to be careful. Families are, are very, very uh, important but at the same time, they can be the very thing that uh, trip us up and just stop us from doing, um, doing God's will. Finally, I'd like to close. Yes, again, ministry. Yes, the ministry of repentance, the ministry of rescue, healing, the ministry of confronting evil. We'll have to save that for another sermon. Yes, why do we do it? Why do we do it? And here we, I think we need to be careful with our motives. And it's very easy to say, I'm following Jesus and I'm going doing this ministry because, well, I tried to be a lawyer and it didn't really work out. So I guess the Lord wants me to be in the church. Or if we examine ourselves, we might find that uh, doing God's work somehow makes us feel better. It assuages our guilt. Or sometimes we have people in our midst who want to build an empire, a religious empire, yes, and make some kind of name for themselves. Um, or people do these things for for lots of lots of different motives. I hope, yes, that just as Jesus sent the disciples. And Jesus still continues to send us. I hope and trust that we can go in his authority as for the same reason that he did. And I think Matthew's gospel, it really does it the best, sums it up the best. And just before Jesus sends out the disciples in Matthew chapter 9 says the following, Then Jesus went through all their towns and villages, preaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He called the twelve disciples to him, it goes on in chapter 10, gave them authority to drive out demons and to heal every disease and sickness. Yes? Why did Jesus commission them 
Why does he commission us? Because of his compassion and his desire to rescue us, his desire to heal us, his desire to save us. Yes, from sin and death through the work of the cross, but also to rescue us, yes, or to save us as from the hold of the devil, from those things that make us fearful, from those things that isolate us, from those things that cause us to destroy ourselves and to ruin our witness and more. And again, that compassion should be that it should be the, the that should be our motivation for our ministry. Whether it's ministry one to another in the body of the Messiah, or it's a ministry to those who are outsiders, who do not, who have not yet experienced, yes, the inbreaking power of the kingdom of heaven. So let's pray for a gift. We need a gift of faith. We need a gift of courage to be unpopular. And uh, we need that gift of repentance. And these are all works that the Lord can do on our behalf. So, Father in heaven, we pray that uh, your children, your needy children, we need your gifts. We indeed need this gift of repentance. Lord, enable us to live a lifestyle of repentance. Lord, we need a gift of courage to be unpopular, to be rejected, and yet, Lord, not to lose faith and lose confidence. And, Lord, we pray that uh, you will give us a gift of compassion for others, that we'll uh, look upon those around us, those who are enslaved by the devil or by culture, or by sin. And we pray that uh, you will empower us, yes, to bring your message of liberation and healing to those of us in the body of the Messiah and to those outside. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.